Hello and welcome to another episode of Sorry You're In My Seat, a weekly podcast that unites two best friends on a quest to find the greatest movies of all time. My name is Aaron and each week I have the pleasure, the honour, of talking movies and films with my best buddy James. Hello there. This week's no exception, let's cut the chit chat. We've got a lot to carry on with. We cut last week's episode short because there's so many films that we've seen recently that we want to talk about that we kind of ended it and said we'll pick this up next week. James, how you been? I'm, I'm good, mate. I, what we're trying to do is we, we're trying to, I mean, this is an old reference, we're trying to Atkins the podcast, cut out the meat, mate, go straight for the fat. That's what it was, right? Uh, it's quite <laughs> out the carbs, I think. Stick to the meat. I think <laughs> that was Atkins, I don't know. So it was just, I'm, I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a roller coaster ride. I'm glad that we're back doing the podcast. We obviously took some time off during uh, New Year's and Christmas. We came back last week with episode 226. We talked about some great movies last we, week. We did. We we talked about some mediocre films last week. We had the menu. We had the outfit. You talked about Avatar too. Yeah. The Shape of Water. <laughs> what was that film you, called? You, I don't remember. Avatar 2. The Way of Water. The Way of Water. Water, yes. Um, we talked about obviously forgetting uh, what Fantastic Beast is all about. And uh, good luck to you, Leo Grant, which was a cracker. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really good week. And we've saved some humdingers this week. So no particular order. We are going to talk about it. The Banshees of Inishirin, Barbarian. The Pale Blue Eye, Glass Onion, and Knives Out Mystery. And then I've got Everywhere, Everything, All at Once. No, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Mm. And haven't you got a warning about a certain Disney film that's not worth watching? Strange World. Mm. There you go. Yeah. So loads again to catch up with this week. We'll, we'll just throw it out there. We, we promised we're going to talk about this, right? DC is in trouble. It is in trouble. So they turn. Is, is it or has it has it drawn the line in the sand now and said... Right, so I don't understand. Right, so James Gunn has... Right, so there's two bits of news. They finished filming Guardians of the Galaxy 3. James Gunn has left the Marvel world. He's mm-hmm. left Disney. He's been called the Godfather. He's now the creative director behind DC. Oh, uh, didn't Nolan have this creative right he, years ago? He did, but weirdly, when you asked Nolan about it, he's like, no, they just paid me to do nothing. However... Obviously, they, Dark Knight did so well. They're like, Nolan, be in charge of this universe. Man he, of Steel didn't do too great. No, and then he just died. He died on his ass. He died on his ass. They, they've turned in the hope to James Gunn. And James Gunn, let's be honest, has fucking nailed it with Suicide Squad. Mm. And he brought out one of the most underrated TV shows the last two years in Peacemaker. And I'm just talking about the opening credits, mate, which is just John Cena and Kyle dancing. Yeah. And then, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy being so successful in the Marvel franchise. And then comes from a, a, a family of great writers. I mean, Brightburn was a good movie, a yeah. good superhero movie, and a spin on the classic Superman tale. So the man knows that they've brought him. Now, however, he's come... And at the same time that Henry Cavill announced that he was leaving The Witcher, he was going back to Superman, basically because of The Rock swinging his big rock dick. Mm, that saying, big rock. Saying, I want this. And he's the biggest superstar in the world. And he was basically like, you will bow to me mm. or you will lose me. And James Gunn's basically called his bluff and gone, no, we're doing a Superman movie. It'll be about his origins. And Henry Cavill, whilst I like him, is no longer our Superman. And as a result of that, has basically cut off all of the DC now. And no one knows the time. Wonder Woman, done. Mm. Aquaman, done. Ezra Miller, weirdly still on the table. That's the weirdest one. And also it doesn't make sense because apparently everything that he has directed is still part of the universe, hence Peacemaker. However, Aquaman shows up at the end of Peacemaker. I don't even pretend to understand it, mate. So, but it's happening. Apparently with Flash, they are still, that's still on the table to be canon. They're doing away with the Gal Gadot cameo. They're doing away with the, um, the what's his name? Aquaman, Aquaman. Jason Momoa Jason cameo. Momoa. Yeah. And it looks like Michael Keaton's been scrapped from the whole movie, even though we saw him in the trailer. Yes. And he, Michael Keaton's been 
thrown away from the Batwoman movie, which isn't going to come to light. Which is which, fair it, because they also threw that entire movie in the bin. Yeah, but th- that, I'm gutted that 89 Batman isn't coming out, or at least the rumours are that it isn't. Yeah. And it means that the Flash movie, which has been through rewrites, been through trouble, been through production been, hell. Been through Ezra Miller. And it's been Ezra Miller. <laughs> he's now going to have to have some kind of weird reshoots. And the Doesn't, only thing I can think of is that he, he resets, goes to Earth 2. And he resets the universe or something. Yeah, and he is now a Flash on a different Earth, yep. which has a different Batman. Or, or a diff- well, they remove Ezra Miller as the Flash. And he ends with the new Ezra Miller. I don't know what's happening, we, mate. I, I, we could get into this. Of course, because there's multiple Ezra Millers in there's this movie. Multiple Ezra Millers. So maybe we follow one of the others. And maybe it's not Ezra Miller. Maybe it's I don't know. There's, there's different versions of the Flash. There's, yeah. there's Tim Allen. Maybe this is Tim Allen and not Barry. Ah, oh, his name is Barry. There's Barry. Not, there's Barry Allen. There's Barry Allen. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's not Tim Allen. <laughs> Tim Allen. So, I so love calls himself. I love Tim Allen as the Flash. <laughs> so basically, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, but it's, I am it's Dad's Billy Crudup, who's, who's Mr. Universe. <laughs> yes, Mr. Universe. Yes. <laughs> Blue, blue balls. Yeah. If you were a Vietnamese soldier and a massive blue thing came along swinging his cock, you would also surrender. I would blow up. I would blow up like the I'd Vietnamese people like, did. I, I would not want to be the last thing I've seen. I'd be like, no, I'd rather be set on fire by knockoff Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> That's a Watchmen reference. Um, right. So I don't know what's happening, but there was some sad news. Because that shot, it became very clear that the Guardians of the Galaxy as actors, who obviously sided with James Gunn with his big dispute of Disney, are fucking right off out of this universe. And the biggest one, I think, is probably Batista. Dave Batista, former wrestler, he said that he's done. He's done with Marvel. He's also done with the comic filmmaking. He wants to try something serious. And I'm going to tell you now, I think he's got more of a chance of being taken seriously as a serious actor than the Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Because Dwayne The Rock Johnson doesn't act but, and also, Dwayne isn't—he's not going after an Oscar. He's not, yeah, exactly. He he's not. He's not signing up to movies to do it. He, he is going to be the next Marvel hero. He, yeah. DC's done with that. That that bridge is burnt. James Gunn's called his bluff. He's going to reset his own universe. I think Dave Bautista, mate, is in serious contention for. for I've always said this. There is a role out there that Dave Bautista. I did say about the Rock at some point, but I've always liked Bautista. He's got acting. Look at the filmographies. Dave Bautista will take a shot where he plays. He plays an. I engineer in a Blade Runner. Blade Runner, yeah. The Rock plays the Rock in everything. Dave Bautista will take a chance, mm. and I like that. And I think he's. I th- I'm putting my money down now, and say he'll win a prestigious award before the Rock. Oh, hands down. And yeah. what he needs under his belt is he needs a John Wick esque franchise under his belt. Original character in an original franchise and an original idea mm. that he owns in a dramatic role. Yes. So you know he he needs that kind of thing. He needs that. Ryan Reynolds as a getaway driver kind of film that people go, that film was awesome. Yes. You know, and Dave Bautista brings a new character and a new dimension to an otherwise washed up kind of storyline that we're seeing. I'd love if to he see gets him, it, I think you're right. I think. I'd love to see him as like a retired hitman that doesn't speak, a la Logan, just mm. like wandering the earth, trying to undo the mistakes he's made without saying a word, the silent assassin. That's nothing against him. I think he's got the acting chops to pull it off. He has got the acting chops. I think everything I've seen from Army of the Dead to like say Guardians of the Galaxy we're, I mean we're in that much prosthetics and there's only so much you can do with Drax yeah. particularly if you're not going to play Drax like he is in the comic book you kind of there's no storyline for him down a, yeah yeah that's it whilst he might be one of the most quotable of that franchise there's no storyline mm. obviously the heart is around and he's not going to get he's not going to get a spin-off and he's not going to get a lead role yeah, exactly. and that to me says leave Marvel because your character isn't going to get this, the Disney Plus TV show the nearest you got was probably that holiday special which wasn't good well, it, it, it was, was a nice right. 40 minute piece yeah. of Christmas entertainment. 
And that was it. I, I, think, I, think that, I think he's done. I think James Gunn is done. I think the Guardians of the Galaxy cast, all of them stuck behind him and him leaving now joining DC. I think that they're all probably leaving that. So, and so now, obviously, the question is what happens to Shazam? Because Shazam 2 is very much on the cards, yeah, which again yeah. had a Superman cameo in it, apparently. Fucking hell. That's no longer going to happen. The problem is they need to sort their own shit out. They, need, it- to, they need to reset everything. But the problem is if you do mm. that, you lose John Cena's Peacemaker, which I swear to God, He's up there with Daredevil series two. Yeah, I think I think maybe maybe the Shazam cut is good and strong, and then the 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 conversation is Shazam. Black Adam's going to have to go up against Superman and Shazam at some point. The three are going to have to go against each other, mm. and probably Shazam and Superman pairing up to take down Black Adam because it's the Rock, and you need two yeah. against one. You know, and ultimately it would be an Alien vs Predator scenario where none of them win because they're all superheroes yeah, and, all and, and all, everyone's got in a contract they don't want to lose you and, don't want to see Superman lose Shazam's likeable yeah. and Black Adam's a bit of a cut and this is the thing do you you can't have The Rock beating what is a child in Shazam essentially you can't have that I story I actually love that and I think I think James Gunn's probably looked at the cut of and he's probably seen the cut of um, I imagine the Shazam so. movie they, they wouldn't give him all his power and then basically him make the decision that what stays and what goes it must be better than Black Adam for him to go no we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go with Zachary Levery and you know the, the 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 small boy turns into a cot versus the rock, which is a huge thing. And obviously now the rock's under a lot of fire because you know he he's a, he's a marketing tool. He's his own marketing tool. There is there has been a shift of power in the last eight ten years with certain celebrities. The rock we've talked about this before. Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman is trying to get a piece of this pie. Yeah, they are their own marketing team. They have so many followers on Twitter and Instagram and that kind of thing that when you buy The Rock, you don't need to buy marketing. Exactly. Because his posts will have far further reach than putting it on the billboard and at Times Square or on the side of a bus in London. And therefore, more, that's why he's getting the roles he gets. And they're more natural. They are more natural. And they now use it to push, uh, to push forward their own agenda. Mm. And what I mean by that is Hugh Jackman coming to uh, Deadpool 3 is big news. Mm. But also, still gets to sell Aviator Gin in that trailer. That's yeah. a selling point. That's that's the same as, like, oh, because it's a joke. Because it's also fucking meta now. Like, we all know this, and that's the joke. It's so weird. And I, to be honest, I'm getting, I'm so bored of it. I, I like the fact that James Gunn's coming. Mm. I'll be honest, I like that. I don't know what they do with their own universe. Do they ignore it? But as a fan, would you just go, would you question that? I don't have a clue. And I, I, we don't know the answer, but I just thought it was big news. I, yeah, I, I, I watched this really good clip earlier about, uh, clearly from someone who knows comic books. And I wish I could reference who it was, so I'm sorry. But I was drawn into this video earlier of someone saying, it, oh, it's all in, in DC. Where, where is in Marvel, you could start with Iron Man. Yeah. You could work your way to Captain America, the first Avenger. And, you know, Iron Man was a gamble and it worked. Which also, weirdly, Zachary, um, Ezra Miller is very reminiscent of Robert Downey Jr. Yes. Being like, that's the guy we're going with? All right, cool. <laughs> and and it, so it may work out. Yeah, history might repeat itself. But, you know, they, with Marvel, you could do what certain characters. Four came in really early in the yeah. Marvel Universe, way before some characters that you Should've thought come. would have come along. Spider-Man being one of them, but I know there was the Sony Rift, obviously, at the time. Um, but, you know, certain characters that are now in it, you're like, four came early on, didn't he? Now, they also changed their own narrative because obviously before Iron Man, X-Men was the biggest selling comic, but because it, they didn't yeah. own it, then they, well, X-Men, they, they changed X-Men it. and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man paved the way. Yeah. Um, Fantastic Four tried to destroy the road. But, <laughs> and it but nearly did, to be fair. But we got that. Sorry, we're going back to DC. I was watching this video earlier and it was very clear. This guy was saying, 
you have to start with Superman. It doesn't matter who gets the hands on it, Gunn or anyone else. You have to start with Superman because he doesn't form an alliance with anyone else. He is the captain of the team. The only one that you can get away with not showing an origin story for is probably Batman mm. because he's well-known and we know it and we're probably bored of his origin story. But we haven't seen Superman's origin for a long time. Man still did it about like three seconds. He was like, oh, he's a trucker now. Oh, he doesn't like people. Oh, he had to shave. Oh, mm. Lois Lane finds out he's pretty sharpish. It's the only one I agree with you. And you also you need to start with your height because that's, that's your top hero. Mm. So where does your villain go? You can't just have him popping up in the background. It's yeah. weird. I don't really understand. I completely agree with that. So your top, your top question now then is, um, what Superman do you, do you have? What era, what kind of Superman, what incarnation, what writer do you follow the script of? I, I, I don't want to be a dick about this, but I've been saying this for years. Right, so Christopher Reeve is probably the outstanding, the one that we think about when you think about Superman, you think of that really crappy CGI. We want CGI. Him in front of a green screen flying You'll believe he was fly, James. you believe that was the tagline. You'll believe he was flying. you believe that Lex Luthor can't say nuclear because mm. it's played by Gene Ackman. Apparently had problems saying that word. You've got, Fucking second weekend of the new year. And we were like, oh, I'll keep episode short. <laughs> Listen to what's going on about this, right? Um, he's the outstanding one. Brandon Roth in Superman Returns did a phenomenal job of playing the same Superman. And people didn't like it because Superman hadn't changed. So then you get Henry Cavill, a f- brilliant actor, by the way, nerd, knows the source material, wanted to do the best job possible. He wasn't there for the money. He wasn't into bed because he wanted to be Superman. Mm. And I think he did a good job. Man of Steel was different. He had to kill a man, but he had to kill, he had to kill Zod to protect someone. The ultimate, he, he had no choice. It's not playing like he was a murderer. It's like, yes, I love killing people. It was a choice. People didn't like that. So I think it's the fans. Mm. You need to pick one. You need to universally, I don't know how, pick one. But you're always going to have dissenters. People didn't like that Batman was an emo teenager. People didn't like Bruce Wayne's... Uh, people didn't like... Um, Affleck. Affleck is Batman. People don't... Whatever they make a decision, you just need to get behind fully. And I think what's not happened, what what's not helped this entire DC run is every time they make a film, they pander to someone mm. and they go, well, we'll do this. We'll do that. People didn't like the fact that Affleck definitely killed a lot of people. <laughs> Like legit killed a lot of people. Killed people. People didn't like that. But then they needed to because the storyline was Superman doesn't kill people and Batman was scarring people so they get murdered in jail, which was a bit complicated. Here's another idea. Keep it fucking simple. What? Iron Man has a suit. The Big Lebowski wants that suit. Hijinks ensue. <laughs> fucking whatever was going on between Spider and Batman. A film that was sold on the premise mm. of audiences would love to see Batman versus Superman, which we did, and you got like seven minutes of it. Well, Iron Man works because the concept of the person that sells weapons has one turned on him, he becomes weapon. That classic fable. That classic arc. <laughs> you know, it's basically Greek mythology that. Um and and along the way it looked badass. It looked brilliant. Yes. It came at the right time for CGI and everything like that. For me, with DC, is they blew way too early. Is yes. they went, they went, they went. Here's a, here's a, um, the Batman trilogy, the Nolan ones, which were great. Okay, let's do what Marvel are doing, and they did a Superman movie, and then we got Batman versus Superman straight away. Too quick, they, yeah. way too quick, way too quick. Wonder Woman came along, great movie. Aquaman. But I, do you know what's great about Wonder Woman is that there wasn't a fucking cameo every two seconds, and she did the thing that hadn't happened in Superman or Superman Returns. It's and I'll still maintain it, it's the closest we've ever come to an actual comic book hero is she comes out of the trench yeah, yeah. and she saves a village. And at no point during Iron Man or Thor or Batman versus Superman or Superman does someone do it because it's the right thing. And it was refreshing to mm. sit there in the audience and go, I haven't seen this since Christopher Reeve did it because it was the right thing to do. Mm. And that was weird. 
And then Aquaman, which was about 10 <laughs> movies. He was definitely from and, the director of Fast and Furious. And then they started paving this way for this big Snyderverse stuff that was going to happen with Justice League. and Which I loved. Well, now, now, now the Justice League trilogy's kind of been revealed at how it was going to play out. Yeah. And how all, like, the Flash with the, what do they call it, the cosmic treadmill so he can start running back in time. And we've already seen them bits where, he, where he's gone we've back gone too back far. To, yeah. You know, the paving the way and the fact that, you know, the original story was going to be that Lex Luthor gives Darkseid Lois Lane, who then gets killed, which turns Superman. Into the darkness. Which is what he needs to then turn on the, whatever key it is to destroy Earth and Batman and all that lot, all the last survivors. Right? The anti-life equation. The anti-life <laughs> equation. Thank you so much. I was, and then, then they have to like go back in time and he has to stop. And then the big reveal was going to be that the Joker sided with Batman. <laughs> no, no, it will well to get him to the point yeah. where the Flash could then go back in time. And then the big thing was going to be that the Batman, Ben Affleck now knowing this information would go back. Lois Lane died in the Batcave. He then throws himself in front of whatever bullet it is that Darkseid. So, he becomes a martyr. Batman yes. kills, saves Lois Lane, kills himself to prevent the world from happening. And then Superman obviously doesn't turn and he takes fucking names. Like that was the big thing. It was it was a suicide story to get yeah. Ben Affleck and that Bruce Wayne back to throw himself in front of, which is an incredible story. Now, it whether is. or not you've got, you know, all the effects and all the doom and gloom and Jared Leto doing whatever he's doing, Sending rats to people. <laughs> yeah. Whether you take away all that, that's a great story where you have an un impossible task for a hero where the payoff is throw yourself in the volcano. Mm. That whole, you have to sacrifice yourself at the end. Or everyone dies. Or everyone dies. That that would have, I think, been the best Batman story. And I'm a fan of all Batman incarnations, mm. but obviously Batman and Robin and probably Batman Forever. But I like Batman as a character. Probably. I still think he is one of the most interesting characters. And I, you know, like when they're like, they're redoing it. I, I'm like, oh, again, you know, I kind of want to see it. <laughs> I'll, I'll still that's, go see it. Do you know what that's the thing is I might have superhero fatigue, but if they released another Batman, be fucking, I don't know, Dave. Well, Pattinson, Pattinson's still on the cards, isn't he? So this is the other thing. Coming out of Camp I, Gun. I think they should definitely, should definitely just stick to single storylines mm. for now because they're the best Batman's got so many awesome stories like Death in the Family but to get Death in the Family you have to build up all the characters mm. so that and that's the problem Superman versus Batman ends with Superman dying we didn't earn Superman's death we need to love these characters so that when they die and it starts an awesome storyline like we can't meet the Joker the first time when he puts Barbara Gordon in a, in a wheelchair we need to know the Joker first mm. and we need to know Barbara so in three episodes in three films time we can then see the, the emotional impact it has when he tortures Jim Gordon with like, I killed your daughter and that sort mm. of stuff you need to build up DC is just like it wants to it wants to pop its load everywhere. Yeah. And, and I'm not blaming DC, I'm blaming Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers are behind. Well, they just want some of that money quick. They don't want they? that money. They want that dollar dollar and they don't mind who they have to basically. Yeah. Marvel are now raking it in where they can literally bring out any film and it's going to be a box office goal. And I hate and I'm not liking Marvel at all. I haven't liked Marvel for a while now. Honestly, I, I'm a slut for all superhero movies. I say I've got fatigue, but I'm still fucking there watching no, I'm, them. I'm off. I said I'm watching Black I, Panther too. I, I, there's a part of me that gets that I, I get really, you know, I was laughing at the whole bring about the Snyderverse thing thinking it was never going to happen and it did and that cut was way better the it was so much cut. better I didn't realise that I wanted it now I want to see that that arc finish I want to see Cavill as a villain I want to see Affleck trace himself to Mordor to throw himself in the volcano or whatever that was in that film Do you know and save the day that to me would have been heroic I would. I wanted to see Amy Adams act the fucking bollocks off in this because weirdly it had the actors in it mm. to bring this I'm not saying the actors are better I'm just saying more grown up storyline which is probably not fair to say 
But imagine Amy Adams acting the bollocks off as she basically dies in Superman's arms and then watching Henry Cavill. Imagine his fucking... He would give out a no. He'd give out a good scream. Yeah. His eyes would blast open. The back cave would crumble. Yeah, and then and it's no. just... And then you start making sense of all those... Flashes know, horrific and stuff. Flashes, the doomsday stuff that we've been seeing. And... And it's really weird that you think, God, can you imagine being like the person in DC's office? Like, right, so we've got this that's been shit canned. It's not working. God knows where Shazam falls in all of this. We've got all the backlash of Aquaman in Justice League hardly ever being in water and can now fly. What is that about? Mm. You've got Joaquin Phoenix winning Oscars for Joker, which was a throwaway yeah, spin-off. With, now with we've fucking got a, the director of old school. Yeah, when, they, when they saw the rise to that, they must have thought, what fucking joke? He's like, yeah, all right, mate. And now we're doing a sequel. <laughs> oh, we've got our Pats as Batman that people actually really liked yeah. and want to see a sequel to that And film. literally the only complaint is there's not enough fucking Alfred the, but, uh, the butler in that. It's like people coming together, should have had more Alfred. You're like, what the fucking weird scenario? <laughs> Just watch the Batman film and complain that the fucking Gollum's not in here enough. It's, it's weird. Weird, isn't it? That the, the the DC it just seems completely chaotic, and and I imagine I I, I feel I feel like there's a, the the Warner Brothers DC uh, EU boardroom. Half of them are in suits and the other are in clown costumes, and they don't know what's going on. I reckon I reckon they I reckon they're deciding it by rolling dice. Yeah, just go like which characters in the next film? Uh, Lex Luthor, and he's taking on Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor versus Lex Luthor. Make it. See, I, I so I think I think the. I'm gutted that we're not going to get to see the Snyderverse finished. Yes. Out of the promise of of that Justice League cut that we saw. I do want Cavill as Superman. I, at the minute, that is... I, for years, ranted that I wanted more Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. I've got a bit of that now. I want to see Obi-Wan season two, don't get me wrong. I think there's... Mm. I want to see Obi-Wan season two where he goes after Maul or he goes after Bosk or, or another bounty hunter mm. of some kind. Get away from all the Jedi and, and Vader stuff. He needs to get rid of Vader. Yeah. Because then it doesn't make any sense. Because if Vader comes in and loses again, you're like, for fuck's sake, Vader. <laughs> what a bitch. How can you be badass in one film and just a bitch in the next? Um, it's because everyone is the greatest uh, Jedi of all time, James, and the most powerful. But I, I More do... than Kit Fisto. <laughs> there you go. That's sure you up. <laughs> I want to. Um, I, I, I want. I want to. I, I wanted to see that for so long, and I felt like I got it. And now I feel like that hole is once there again because I don't have Cavill. No. As uh, does he come back as Witcher? No. Does it does does No, because apparently he's got d- problem with, apparently the problems with the showrunners, because the showrunners don't like the books, they don't like the games. And Henry Cavill's like, what the fuck am I doing here then? As a huge fan of both the games and the books. So it, apparently he's already filmed his exit before the news was announced anyway. Fuck's sake. R- rumour was that the exit is very fitting to the character and to the love letter that is uh, Cavill's passion for the Witcher. Oh, that's I'm I'm I'm, ultimate, I'm ultimately I'm very upset because I love Henry Cavill. Mm. Henry Cavill's a giant. He's you and me, but in a great body in a, in, and a great money. acting skills and, and comes he, from a very wealthy family. And and he and he's just such a nice bloke. Like I'll never forget when uh, and I like Graham Norton. Graham Norton kind of tried to talk the piss. And Henry Cavill owned it. It was like, no, I'm a nerd. Oh, Gra- this wait, is, Graham this- Norton took the piss. What are you on about, James? I've never you know, known that. But you know about Warhammer. Yeah. And, but at least Henry Cavill now going to something that he enjoys. And it's just really shit because I, I guess I don't really give a toss, to be honest. Well, <laughs> After all that, I don't care. Well, I, t- just, again, we're going on time. We haven't talked about a movie yet, but just, just, just while we're on it, Norton, I like his concept. I like bringing out all the actors together because you get moments like with Tom Holland. Yes, that's Warhammer is. He goes, that sounds awesome. And you yeah. realise they're human. The best interview show ever is the Hot Wings uh, chat. Have you seen that? No. You know, the where basically, I don't know what it's actually called, but I watched like a load of clips of it where the Hot Wings, they get hotter and hotter as they're doing an interview. 
Right. That and sounds it, awesome. There's loads of celebrities that have done it. It's a big, big thing. It's like a back, black backdrop. You have a load of chicken wings in front of them with hot sauce bottles in front of them. And each one gets hotter and hotter. And normally the last one is like ridiculous hot. Mm. And you get like, the Paul Rudd one is brilliant. Like by the end, they're both sweating. Paul Rudd's touched his eye and it's burning. And he's like, I hate you and all this kind of stuff. And the reason being is that, the reason why that show works so well is because when you've got that fire and that pain going on. <laughs> you just say you can't act. You can't. You can't be like, "Oh, my PR told me to, you know, to, to promote this you know, film." To You're look, like, well, not even that, but to be a persona. Yeah, you know, to be the to awkward. Be Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, to be yeah. the awkward, um, like interviewee, and to have a bit of attitude. You are stripped down to exactly who you are when you're suffering on a chicken wing or a vegan one, depending on who it is. And it is brilliant. By the time they get to the hottest ones, you can see like there's of all people, there's like a Noel Gallagher one from Oasis. And, you know, he has a, when he goes into interviews, you know, he's got sunglasses on. Thinks he's, he's hard. Yeah. And he's like, fucking get me milk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And he, it's the best idea ever for an interview show because you don't get, I, I can't watch any of these like Kimmel's or anything like that. You know, these American late night oh, talk just, shows. Oh, can I kiss you on the cheek, sir? Because it's all like, well, I'm going to say this. And when you come out, yeah, and I'm going to put that cup there and I'm going to say a certain thing. And when I say this joke, you can, it's all staged and scripted and rubbish. And yeah. And I, Graham Norton is because he, Gets them out and he plows them full of alcohol so they talk more. And then the yeah, the hot ones is a brilliant interview show. I might you to watch it. Um so basically James Gunn, good, but ultimately storyline. What the fuck? It's in fucking diet trouble, isn't it? Yeah. It is. They they and they need to bring some positivity. They need uh, they mind, need to bring a plan out quick. Bearing in mind before Iron Man came out, there was only one fucking show in town, it was DC. You've had something like 50 years of films. You were the mm. only ones on films, mate. Well, Spider-Man was in fucking China because mm. they sold the rights to China. So you had Spider-Man shooing guns and was a renegade cop. You had fucking Christopher Reeve. You had Keaton. You had, you had the fucking superhero genre nailed down. For Iron Man, you had fucking Bruce Wayne. You fucking done it again. You had Christopher Nolan bringing out still arguably the best trilogy mm. of superhero films of all time. You've shit yourself. You've it, it shot really yourself is. in the leg. That film ended and it and it and so did DC. Yeah. But it's weird because the, the wild card really is the Joker movie. Because it, if it's not canon and it is its own thing, they fucking go for it. Own mm. it. Make it, you know, like there was original in the original script, like at the end of that original movie, uh Whacking Phoenix turns around and shoots young Bruce Wayne, the kids, and just looks at the camera and says, you know, didn't expect that, did you? Because it was a standalone movie. Go for it. And it could do those things. Fuck it. Go for it then in the second movie. Do what you want because if it's not canon, have him, and, sh- have him shoot Iron Man, break the walls down. Well, that's it. Is it gonna, if it wins two Oscars, can you imagine if it becomes, if it wins another Oscar or Wacky Minutes gets another nomination and you're like, how? <laughs> how is that a DC movie or a DC property? Anyway, it's, it is really weird actually if you think about it. Joker wins the Oscar. But DC's in the shit. Yeah. It's, like, it's not part of our cinematic universe. And now after it's like, oh, and everyone's like, well, it fucking should be. <laughs> <laughs> Just like the Batman. And the Batman's the other one. It's like, you, there's there's scientists somewhere around a whiteboard trying to go, how do we get our pats and Wacky Phoenix together on some and kind then, of timeline? And then some are sticking in this. Yeah. It's, Here's what you'll do. There'll be an after scene credits where we're fucking the Flash enters that realm by mistake and goes, oh, shit. And subs his toe. It's like, oh, I guess I'm in now. Yeah. I can't run anymore. <laughs> or, or they're like, well, we never said what year it was in our Perhaps because you know the, uh, the the Joker movie looked like it was in the seventies. We just <laughs> just had to go for this. We didn't explain eighty nine Batman. What year that was? Yeah, exactly. And it worked. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? They are clutching to try and string all that together. Let's talk about some other <laughs> movies. Do some movies like nearly one hour because we got. Uh, we, well, we are. What's that? Twenty twenty eight minutes, maybe. 
I'm going to go 28 minutes. We've got loads to talk about. So these may be a bit more condensed because we, we don't want the show to go on. Um, let's start with uh, one film that I am going to keep quite short because I don't think you've seen it, and that is Barbarian. Not seen it. Talk so to Bar- me about Barbarian. Barbarian came out in 2022. It's a movie that um, is now on Disney+. Plus. It made quite an impact, quite a ripple when it came out, and it follows certain new horror movies that play on the formulaic construct that is horror. You think about films like Ready or Not, Get Out. Yeah. Films that are coming out nowadays in the horror genre that are scary. They have the jump scares in them, but they play on that formula that is so ingrained now. You know, the final girl, the free act, the, you know, whatever it is mm. uh, that, that is in there. Barbarian is in that channel. It, it's a film that is shot over, again, three acts where it leads you one way and then it throws a curveball and then it throws you another curveball and then it all comes together in the end. It's a horror movie. Um, it's directed by Zach Kreger and it stars Georgina Campbell, Bill Starsgard, and Justin Long are the three main characters. I do characters. I have seen it. I've seen, I've seen, where have I seen it? I've seen the, I've seen the word barbarians kind of like written scroll. Yeah. That's what I've seen. It, yeah, it looks very horror-esque and you've got Georgina Campbell plays Tess. She arrives late one night to uh, a Detroit Airbnb where she's booked the night because she's got an interview the next day. She arrives late, very dark, um, when she attends to the property, there's someone already in it. She's been double booked. A character, Fucking Keith. I've seen this. Yeah, Bill Skarsgård is uh, in there, and of course, you. So straight away, you're like, I've seen, I know, yeah. where, I know where this movie's going. And this film is all about show, get, getting you as an audience member to think, I know where this is going, and then, and then not going. Yes, there. trick you. So Tess turns up. She's a young, vulnerable woman. It's raining. It's, it's in the dark side of town that she doesn't know. You know the the layabout. Here's Keith, who's like, no, I've booked this place as well. Do you want to come in and sort this out? She's smart. She's not, uh, you, you know, like... She, she's not horror, mate. She's not horror, <laughs> she, yeah. She's not like, yes, let's go in the pool together. Oh, here's a knife. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he and and the casting's brilliant. It's Bill Skarsgård. Us as the viewers are like, it's Pennywise. He, don't open that house. Why would you come <laughs> yeah. in there? Um, and, of course, then he turns out to be charming. He pulls out his reservation. He says, I booked on this website. It looks like there's an error. They start to... But she never lets her guard down. She's like, no, I'm going to go in this room because it's got a lock. You know, he offers her a bottle of wine, but she doesn't take it. And But he's also like, I haven't opened it because if I opened it and you want here, you'd think I put something in it. They're very open about how the scenario looks. Mm. Things then change uh, when Georgina Campbell's test character goes down into the basement. Yeah, she, she hears mistake. noise. <laughs> and here's where we start to go into phase two of the movie, where she finds a door which opens... At the end of that door is a room with a video camera and a mattress, and it looks very seedy. But then there's another door on top of that, so this film just keeps going with these ideas of now there's an underground um, stairwell that goes deep, deep underground. Keith comes back. She's like, look, I found this thing. We need to get out of here. It, you know, it, this is dodgy as fuck. There's a room in the basement that's got a, a video camera and a mattress. I don't like the looks of it. We need to get the fuck out. It's <clears throat> good advice, that, man. Bill Starsgård's like, no, I'm going down there. And then shit happens underground. We then cut to Justin Long, who's on the other side of the country. Sitcom actor, isn't he? And, uh, sorry? He's a sitcom actor. He's a sitcom actor <laughs> who's about to be cancelled because a story is about to be emerged that puts him in a very unfavourable light. He has to start selling assets, getting his finances in order. He is the owner of the property that has been rent out. He has to fly back to Detroit to sell the property, um, unaware that two people have rented it at the same time, and then the storylines cross. Then we get a backstory about how the house came into what it is and what is underneath it and who previously lived there and who owned it. And it all then starts building towards a finale that where it becomes a proper horror movie. 
I really like this film. I thought it's again, it's 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 there's some really good horror coming out that doesn't have to be all about blood, guts, and gore. There is violence, there is blood, there is gore in it, but it's not that's not its selling point. It's not like the Saw movies where it's you would have like, seen someone like being caught up on yeah, that. Yeah, you're like, yeah. oh, dude, you want to go watch it, mate? Someone gets spliced. Mm. And you're like, I've not seen someone get spliced. Maybe, you know, I do or I don't <laughs> want to see that. This is more like, it's a horror. It makes you uncomfortable. And at the end of the film, you get a feeling of release, an adrenaline release. It, it does what a good horror is meant to do. And that, to me, is, is such a treat nowadays when horror can become play-by-numbers. I haven't seen the whole film. I didn't realise where I've seen it. You know, when you go, you might not do this because you're not a, uh, when I go on YouTube, they do those shorts. There's always someone who's basically edited the film into like 30 second clip and there's part one, part two, mm. part three, and they'll go through it very quickly. And there's usually a translated voice that does not translate well. Mm. <laughs> it's like, man walks into this place and finds mattress and a cherry. But it's not a cherry, it's a gun. It's, mm. it's really weird. And that's how I've seen it. And that's how I knew he was a sitcom actor because it's like, he is a sitcom actor and it comes up several times. Yeah. It's talking about my biggest pet hate of 2022 has been those short videos where someone just points up in the air oh, and it yeah. says, oh, and it says like, worst things to have happened. There's a guy with a really shit mustache. He just points up and like, oh my God, you're fucking TikTok famous, you prick. I know, but they'll earn more money than you or I ever. And, I know, and- that's <laughs> fucked up. The, the, the other film I wanted to compare this to is, I can't remember what it was. It was that Sebastian Stan movie where he's the cannibal that sells body meat. Flesh? Yeah, I believe Flesh. so. Flesh. I think we yeah. reviewed that last year as well, which was also on Disney+. Plus. So after you've watched, after you've watched Aladdin and, and Lion King, flip yeah. over to Barbarian yeah. and Flesh. Yeah. But Barbarian is a solid 18. It's, 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 it's not it's, the menu. Yeah, I, I was watching it like, yeah, it's a good 18, you know, because it's, it's an 18 because of the tension it creates versus the over-the-top, um, the, the over-the-top kind of gore. There are moments, there are outbursts of gore. You know, there is someone's head gets caved in, you know, um, there is gun wounds and stuff. So there is, you know, if, you, if you're ever worried about that stuff, do check out the BBFC before watching it. But Barbarian, I thought, was a really, really good horror film that felt like the good old horror film. Yes. No, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, I'd, the premise is brilliant. Mm. The premise of... You think you know the horror. You don't know the horror. Uh, so that's that one. Now we've got two massive ones to talk about. Three massive ones to talk about, which all could be contenders, I think, for film of the year. Yes, they could be. Do you, um, do you want to start with something that's definitely not the contender of the year? Very sure. Oh, the Disney one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Strange so, World. So Disney's latest uh, animated attraction, Strange World, directed by Don Hall, starring the the vocal talents of Jay Gyllenhaal. It's nice to find out where he's been. Dennis Quaid, go back. Uh, Jacoby Young-White and Lucy Lou Lucy Lou there you go Lucy, Lucy Lou Lucy Lou Sion. the film is set in the world of Avalonia and follows the great father and son explorer team the Clade family Avalonia is surrounded by an endless wall of mountains that no one can cross so the father Jaeger and son Searcher leave to conquer the mountains that's how it opens up it's a really nice opening it's like you know old timey reels it's like and there's that voice like go get them Jaeger mm. um Liked the opening. I like that sort of style. Um, yeah, uh, it doesn't go well, and Searcher turns back and heads home while Jaeger bravely goes forward. So pretty, pretty early on, the father and son break. On the way home, Searcher finds a plant called Pando. Which it's no vertical limit, mate. It's no vertical there's, limit. There's no peril on a mountain like vertical limit. <laughs> uh, on his way home, Searcher finds a plant called Pando, which gives off energy. 25 years later... 25 years, baby jump. 25 years later, and Searcher has his own family with my th- with wife Mirrodin and son Ethan, and all of Avalonia runs on Pando. But oh no, there is a problem, and Pando doesn't work as well now. So there's an energy crisis. 
I'll tell you now, you can already see where this problem is going because this film is very woke. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Ethan is the first openly LGBT uh, it was a gay character. He, 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 they do that Disney thing where he's got a love interest and he's supposed to think he's a girl, but then it is another man. Uh, great. I believe that my problem is I'm not LGBT, but I imagine it's a big thing for Disney to openly have a reference and it's accepted by searches like, oh, my son's gay. That's great. And I imagine it's a lot like Black Panther. I'm not black, so I don't know the significance of having a black superhero whose storyline has nothing to do with racism. So it is a big moment. However, with Pando and an energy crisis in the current world we live in now, you're trying to cram so much shit in this. Mm. And don't worry, there's more shit to come. Um, Searcher signs up for an expedition and travels into the heart of Avalonia, where he finds his father, who has spent 25 years still trying to get around the mountains, has now decided to go under the mountains. Uh, whilst they're there, they find a host of weird blob-like creatures that try to harm the humans. As the journey goes on, the family learn to love again and all that jazz, and we and we learn that all is not what it seems in the world of Avalonia. The ending, didn't see it coming, was different. Like the style, it's kind of like steampunk engineering world. But Pando, mate, is harming the environment in a literal... When, you, when it's all open to you and revealed, you realise that this hour and a half film has been lectured to. It's... it's about 45 minutes, you know where the story's going. I like the art style, the storyline. I don't need to be lectured. I, I'm sorry, but when a Disney film is lecturing to me, which is weird because I'll take the film Inside Out, which was on BBC over Christmas, and I watched it. I love that story. It deals with depression. Why am I getting... I'm not angry, but but it annoys me that I was being lectured to in a in a really weird way. But then again, I'm not the audience for this Disney film, so maybe I'm taking that the yeah. way to heart. But it's not for me. It's not funny... The voice talent's not that great, and I know that we like Jake Gyllenhaal, but you're well aware that Dennis Quaid is in this film. It's I've got a Quaid sign. A Quaid sign. It is. It's not as fun. There's no magic in it. Whilst there are elements that are nice, everyone's too quirky and fun, and it it, it there's no humanity in it, and it does lack a lot of it. Does it? It's going to sound really fucking dumb. There's not a lot of realism in it. Mm. <laughs> whereas whereas a film like Inside Out, which deals with physical emotions inside your brain, was human. If that makes they're, sense, they're the, be- the they're the the better Disney and Pixar movies that have come out of late are the ones where the take home message, like the 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 heartstring of the movie, they haven't had to spoon feed you. Exactly, that's the you know, that's the and, best way to put it. And that's the you know, you, and of course, the big hitters with that is Coco. It's um, you know, it's Moana. It's as you've already said, it's Inside Out. To some degree, it's Big Hero Six. These are yeah, movies Frozen that, as well. You yeah, to, the, yeah. The, the films that. You you get it. You, don't, you you no one had to put a banner up or a big message and tell you like, oh, if you haven't got it, these things are bad. And it, that's it, what this yeah. film does a lot. I and mean, that's that's the perfect way to it. If you've got a kid, they might enjoy the art style. The art style was good. I'm still going to watch it because I, I I'm a sucker for these films. And I mean, it wasn't sold to me like that at all. And and the, this was a warning sign. It's Disney pretty much pulled all of the promo for it. Yeah, no cinematic release straight on Disney Plus. And have you seen any promo for this film? No, I didn't even. Realize. I thought I thought it was from a few years ago. I didn't realize this was the Disney. Release I've seen of this Jake Gyllenhaal in interviews where I didn't know this was the film he was talking about because they talked about other things. And the, <laughs> and so the highlight reel of that interview is other things, not the film. I believe I read some reviews of it. That say it's too woke for its own good I'm still of the belief that I, can you be too woke I don't think that's a thing you you don't watch The Matrix and think it's too white man <laughs> you don't watch a film and go it's too actually it's too much rom-com in while he was sleeping it, the storyline take that back th- th- no there's, there's just the right amount that's mm. what I mean so it fits the storyline the problem is you didn't leave 
there's no there's very little personal growth. The problem is, I know it's gonna sound really stupid. Jaeger Clade, Dennis Quaid, the father, he's supposed to be a likable person. He left his family for 25 years to go fucking exploring. What a prick? I don't want to, I don't want, why is he the hero? Mm. Oh, he does the spoilers, he does the right thing and comes back to his family. It's like, what an arsehole. Mm. <laughs> he's surprised. He shows up in the final scene is he goes to his he That's goes, it. What? So Dennis Quaid and Jack Jake Gillano in an interview where the interviewer says this is the second time you've worked together and they both are confused. And, and he was like, 2012. And they both go, oh, you, yeah, you played my dad in that film. The, they day, never after, the day after tomorrow. The day after tomorrow. Dare you, mate. I'm so sorry. I Roland Emmerich is spinning in his bed of money. It is, <laughs> <laughs> which is more than likely some form of world being blown up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Love the fact that they don't even remember. Because they didn't share a scene with each other. Yeah, or something. And Yeah. Um, or they just forgot, like most of us tried to. <laughs> I think then they share like three scenes together, but they were probably shot at the same time and then spent the rest of the majority because he spends the film trying to get to him. And I'd be like, no, don't. <laughs> I'd rather die, father. Well, and you know, cinema has is full of scenes where two people look like they're in the same room and actually their actors have never seen each other. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm still going to watch it because I'm a, I'm a slut for those kind of films. Um, I'm gonna before we get on to the big contenders, I'm teasing this out because I do believe that Glass Onion, Banshees of Inner Sharon, and I always get the name wrong, everything Everywhere all everywhere at once. all at once are gonna be the big three that we talk about. So just very, very quickly, the Pale Blue Eye has uh, debuted this week on Netflix, or it came out on January the sixth, so is there's it, a bit of a delay. Is it Oscar time soon? It is Oscar time oh, soon, but this this, this this no, this film ain't going for it. I say it's a Scott Cooper movie, it's got Christian Bell in it, it's got Harry Meeling in it, or Melling in it. Melling. Who's done a real Good transition from Harry Potter. It, is it? Is it who I think it is? It, the 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 kind Dudley, of Dudley, the, the brother. The, oh, the, 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 yes, of course. He's Dudley. You know, he's lost a lot of weight, uh, Harry Mellon. But you know, Harry Mellon, you know, he's gone on to do things like the Old Guard. I like he's, him. he's worked with obviously the Coen Brothers. With uh, he was in one of the shorts in the um, Buster Scruggs movie, the Buster Scruggs. Yeah, um, yeah, I like the guy, I, and I, I think he's he's interesting. He, he's, he turns up a performance in this. This has also got. Um, it's got a uh, favourite Gillian Anderson in it. It's got Lucy Boynton in it as well. Big fan of Timothy Spall appears in it. Toby Jones is in it. Great cast. Robert Duvall even in this film as well. The film... There's a Duvall side. There's a Duvall side. But he's done that veteran actor thing of being in one room for one scene. Do you know oh, what I mean? It's okay. like, so his name's on the so, poster. So his name's on it, but he's not in it. But it's like the go see him. That's the other thing. You know you've made it as an actor. When your name's on the poster, you're in one scene... They come to you and you give them a clue or a, or a way to get to the next stage of the film. You're a hinge point, normally around the middle of the film. Um, it's a uh, it's set in times yonder, and it's uh, Christian Bell plays a detective who's hired to investigate the murder of a West Point cadet. So a cadet has been found. Um, he was found hung. They then put his body in a in a morgue like uh, place in the in the cadets um, uh, base barracks. But then when they go revisit it the next day, the heart's gone. So there's almost been two crimes committed. One has mutilated the body, and one's the killing itself, or was the killing suicide? We don't know. Um, Christian Bale's detective, uh, what was his name? Augustus Lander. Damn it! Wish we were going for Augustus Gloom, right? Uh, <laughs> Augustus Gloom. Yeah, um, that's a fucking spin-off you want to see coming, would you? He uh, enlists the help of one of the cadets, which is Harry Melling's character, who, believe it or not, is a young Edgar Allan Poe. So it's almost like an origin story for the gothic playwright and, and poet. I did see this. I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I dreamt this, but you know, sometimes it, 
Netflix gets it wrong. Mm. And it, it was like it would be the synopsis for like, <laughs> I don't know, like Boys Night or something. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, it's, maybe. Well, which, which is really weird because, the, so as a viewer, you're like, okay, so who am I watching? Because Edgar Allan Poe's the sidekick, but he's the character we know to go on, you know, to to, 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 to go be, on to be to, John Cusack. To, to be the famous one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas Christian Bale is Christian Bale and his character... Augustus Lander is almost Sherlock Holmesy in that he's always kind of a step ahead of where Edgar Allan Poe is, which is a weird sentence. It, 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 it all together, it's wrapped up in this kind of sleepy, hollow aesthetic of, you know, um, uh, foggy, smoky, damp, cold America. You know, and, and I mean it's good. Yeah, it's the, interesting. The frontier. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, or it meets the Revenant. You know, those kind of films, but. It was good. It's it's a fifteen, and it it does get bloodier towards the end. There was a point halfway through the movie where I was like, I I don't know why this is because, you know, we don't we haven't seen any violence gore or anything like that. It seems a bit. This could have been probably a twelve eight until maybe towards the end when it does get a bit more violent and bloody. But it it is ultimately there is a point halfway through the movie where you kind of have this out of body experience like. This is really weird. It's kind of like when Christian Bale did the Terminator movie. <laughs> in that you're like, I know the context and I know we're I know why we're here, but why is Christian Bale in it? <laughs> it's like, that's the bit I couldn't that, get. That might be the best use of fucking Terminator <laughs> Salvation I've ever read. But I, it, you know what I mean? It's like it, yeah, I get I get that this story needs to be made, like Terminator. It's there's a there's a there's a story here that's interesting. But why is Christian Bale in it? Because it's not Le Mans sixty six. It's not. It's, you know, it's the not big short. It's, it's not. It's not that time of year where he comes out and gives his Oscar nominated yeah. performance. Oh, it's, it's not Batman. It's like it, it, I was watching this going. Yeah, I suppose Christian Bale does need a new kitchen every now and again. Do you know, <laughs> we all need kitchen. <laughs> we all do. And this is probably. It. I mean, it's not bad. It's not boring by the slightest. It is entertaining. It gets better throughout. You know, and Gillian Anderson comes into it kind of halfway and kind of breathes a bit of additional light into the movie. Um, and everyone plays their roles brilliantly. I think the, the standout is Harry Melling. He, I like he, Harry he Melling. walks a fine line of chewing the scenery and playing, you know, the gothic poet Edgar Allan Poe really well. You know, and there are scenes like, you know, there's a scene where just before he walks in, the camera is pointing at this raven, and then the camera moves aside, and oh, there he is! It's, <laughs> it's really, you know, it, it, it's, it's what it is. Just pointed to an arrow. They just said Edgar Allan Poe is over there. Yeah, <laughs> he just follows him. It's uh yeah, and Toby Jones and some of those characters that like Timothy Spall that when they pop in, you're like, oh yeah, cool, you know. So there's a lot in it to enjoy, and it is it's a good like Friday night movie. If you're lost for something to watch, and maybe you, you know you've you've the kids are in bed or you're not particularly got any plans, you would you wouldn't go far wrong putting this on a Friday night. You wouldn't be disappointed, but you wouldn't get your mates around and be like, it's Oscar season. Bale's got a movie out. Mm. This could be a contender. It isn't. It's it's middle Bale. Fair enough. Not bad bail, middle bail. Middle bail. Right, we've got three juggernauts we have got now. Three. I've got one that I think I'm going to label best film of 2022. You've got a film that you think you're going to label best of yeah. 2022. So shall we start and with And then we've the... got a film that I think we both enjoy, but I haven't spoken to you about. So let's go. So we'll go with that one then. So, oh, what, Do you want to do Glass Onion first? Is that the one that is not your favourite film of the year? It's not, no. And then I know it's then not that's yours. perfect. Yeah. So. Right, Glass Onion. So Glass Onion's just come out on Netflix following a one-week run in cinemas. So this is where Netflix spends your money. It spends it knowing that like Knives Out was such a great success, an, uns- an unsuspecting success as well, because the whodunit genre is rejuvenated. Yeah. And it bought this and it's bought the next two, or definitely the next no, one. No, the death one, yeah, yeah. 
And it's bringing it back. And you can definitely tell this is filmed during COVID because, like we said last week, it's set on an island and ain't fucking no one else in this film. But luckily, you don't need no one mm. else in this film. This, we could fill a whole podcast on this. On this, we could have done a glass onion special because, like an onion, there are so many layers and so many um, little Easter eggs. And it's a film that's designed to be watched multiple times. So you can see the stuff. And that so you we're not going to be able to cover all of it in the time that we've got, other than to say that it is a very well thought out well written um full movie of you know like I say layers upon layers upon layers it is netflix third most successful film of all time uh, this is crazy esther thinks that this so going i think esther thinks this is her film of the year 2022 wow. yeah she loved this film she come off this film buzzing and i was mm. like do you see the first one and she said yes i was like i think this one lacks the subtlety of the first one and also daniel craig's character leblanc Mm. is actually sec- when I was re-watching it when I was re-watching Knives Out LeBlanc is actually secondary character is Anna de Armas' character just Blanc, not LeBlanc but just Blanc yeah but it feels like it should have a it should be the white so Anna de Armas' character is, is the main focal point this one that's definitely reduced and lessened mm. and Blanc is a fire makes a yeah. star his gravity is drawn to him. Daniel Craig is back as the Southern detective Benoit Blanc and once again he's joined by a star-studded cast. This time, our famed detective travels to Greece to take part in a billionaire's murder mystery weekend only to be trapped on an island with an actual killer. It's now become a franchise. Netflix has already confirmed it will be a trilogy having bought the rights to film two and three for a reported £450 million. Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, yeah. Laughing his way to the bank. He's like, you might giving me shit for The Force mm. Awakens. No, not The Force Awakens. Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. Watch this Jedi. I, but I'm a Last Jedi defender. I love that movie. It's not perfect. It's it's flawed. And it's still part of the... He had his distractors, mate, but now it doesn't matter because he wipes his ass yeah. with $100 bills. And he is... Yeah, reportedly he got $100 million of that mm. deal for writing, directing the next two installments, this being the first one. Um, and considering it was only out for a week, let that soak in how much Netflix wanted it. They wanted this to be the big selling point for Christmas this year. So, um, you know, for people that have Netflix, this is the big film. I think they bought it a while ago and they said that they'd allow it to be released for a week, mm. which is crazy. Mm. But then if you've got a movie this You're good... Fucking flex, mate. <laughs> or, is it, or is it because... It, that's actually probably genius because then when Knives Out 3 come out, those that haven't got Netflix but saw it in the cinema go, well, actually, now yeah. is the time to get Netflix. So reclusive tech billionaire Miles Braun is played by Edward Norton and he invites his closest friends. In this case, it's Janelle Monet, uh, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odem Jr., uh, Jessica Hemwick, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson and Dave Bautista for, <laughs> for three days of sun, booze and games on a private island. The game being to solve... His murder. So Miles Braun, the tech billionaire, is going to put a murder mystery on where he, that where his friends have to guess who's killed him. Then things go horribly wrong. That's where I'm going to stop with the synopsis because any more would spoil the plot. But what we will go on to say is that great reveals. There are great reveals. Yeah. So um, the murder mystery doesn't go to plan. Fucking and then the film is, doesn't go off. Yeah, <laughs> and then the film is constructed very much like a murder mystery in that we experience events leading to and ending in a real murder. Then through a series of clues, non-linear storytelling, flashbacks, replays, we see scenes from different angles, we get missing parts of conversations, we learn a little bit more about each character and their backstory until we reach a conclusion and the killer or culprit is revealed. It's a love letter to Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, Murder, She Wrote, Columbo, and definitely Miss Marple. Yeah, particularly with 
uh, it's, it's a literal love letter to Murder She Wrote as well because Angela Lansbury's in the beginning. Lansbury, yeah, um, her last on-screen performance. Yeah, um, it is as you've already said, rejuvenates the who done it genre. And for me, I thought this film was you know, and and this, it, it is great. It's because what it does so satisfyingly is it doesn't it doesn't steal from its peers. It loans from them, but then also becomes its own animal its own machine its own story or franchise now i don't think it was as good as knives out i do think out of the two i probably preferred knives out this one was i felt was a little bit more obvious not all of it certain things i didn't get till the end it's a bit comedic as well i think they played too oh, much I, la- I laughed loads at no, la- yeah. it but the first one i remember the jokes were more subtle like is anna diarmas throwing a stick in the background mm. and the dog returns it to blanc and yeah. That sort of because like, I said this to Esther. I was like the first one. You don't actually know Blanc is a decent detective until the end. Yeah, you're only told he's a good detective until right at the end when he then realizes everything in his head. Whereas in this one, because you've seen the first one, he's depressed when you first meet him. COVID's not hit him well. Um, he's, well, he's, 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 he's Sherlock arguing, Holmes, isn't he? Between yeah. cases, he's, he's, he's arguing with his lover, which is fucking brilliant. That, that cameo Grant. is brilliant. Oh, yeah, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> right. That is brilliant. Yeah, um, and then you've got. You've got this greatness, like he's like, "Are you in the bath still?" I was like, "No." Whilst he's in the bath, yeah, <laughs> just and everything's great. I I really enjoyed it. Like I say though, I think the laughs are too often. I don't get me wrong, I like it, but I, I like the murder mystery element more. And I just think he's got great performances. I love Dave Bautista. I think Catherine mm. Hahn is phenomenal in this. Mm. I think she really stands out. I don't think there's a weak person in the bunch. And I, you know, Edward Norton gets slagged off a lot because of the type of person he is doesn't fit he's into Hollywood. He's definitely picked for that role. Yes. And I just think it's absolutely yeah. brilliant casting. It's almost like meta-casting, isn't it? <laughs> and, and and his character, I mean, there are links, aren't there, to say he's basically a, a Elon Musk, isn't it? He's yeah. the character that he's depicted he's as. definitely him. Elon Musk. And if you're a film fanatic, there are loads of things. There's a flashback scene where Edward Norton is wearing the same outfit and has the same hair as Tom Cruise in Magnolia. And there are fight club pictures where it's his head on Brad Pitt's body. It, there, there is layer upon layer of a beautifully crafted film. I will say, I will say every square inch of this screen has been fought out and, and it, and it's deliberate. It, it's such a good, uh, film that, you know, with the attention to detail in it, as I say, I think that, I think I preferred the knives out movie, the first one, because I felt this one, I kind of got it almost immediately. I didn't get how I didn't get why. Yeah. And there were certain kind of uh, slight hands that I didn't grab. But there's a key part in the film that I saw. And then when you see the replay, it's not what you saw the first time. So it's like, well, that's a bit cheating in, in, cheating. in the world. you know, Because you in, in whodunits, you've got to have a fair chance to solve it yourself to make it truly enjoyable and an experience. And there was also some really good red herrings as well. There's one bit where I said out loud, a gun goes missing and just before it goes missing, a certain character drunkenly stumbles into the person holding the gun. And I said out loud, I said, that person's just took the gun off that person. Turns out they didn't, but you can't help but Ryan Johnson put that scene in to get people like me going, oh yeah. So I thought it was a really good, like come along and play this game kind of film. It does have some strings back to the first one, few links, like the one, there's a trope in both movies, which is one character versus a bunch of arseholes or yes. douchebags. That seems to be the the only real thing that connects the two. And this is, again, it's a Bond villain's island versus an old manor house. So the, the changing of scenarios works really well because you almost now get Benoit Blanc or Daniel Craig's character fish out of water because the first act of this movie, while he's familiarising and acclimatising to the island, 
He doesn't know things. You know, there's a bit where he's in a swimming pool with his clothes pretty much still on. Bathing suit, mate. Yeah. Well, when he's smoking a cigarette, he tries to put it out. (laughs) Yeah, and he's doing that and he doesn't know where to stand or walk or or, or these bits. And he is, you know, he's he's like over-talking the tech billionaire because he doesn't get the etiquette, you know. And when he's talking about the murder mystery, the movie's like, do we win anything? He's like, what do you mean? He's like, like an iPad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure, you can win an iPad. (laughs) Yeah, and he doesn't know how to work with these people you know these uh particularly um the the futuristic elements of this tech billionaires property in ireland the standout elements for me are the cast and the the as i've already mentioned the attention to detail i think craig is addictive as as uh benoit Blanc. i want a third film i want to see this character more i think i can't wait to see the cast it's better than bond in a way because bonds you have a set of you have a tuxedo to fill and a pair of shoes to wear Whereas this, and it's kind of the closest comparison is that Lucky Logan movie he did with, um, oh, what was his name? I've never seen it. I've heard it. He bleached Tatum, head. and yeah. yeah and Where in that movie he gets to again be to break the kind of stereotype of being a Bond, a James Bond, and have a bit of fun with a role and a character. This, you know, you got to argue is 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 I think his will be his most memorable performance. He'll obviously always go down as being one of the best Bonds we've had, but. As a truly original character, uh, uh, Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc, also because what Johnson's done really well is we've got to see him in, as I've just said, two environments now where he gets to act differently and react differently. I think the standout performance is Janelle Monet, who was in Antebellum, Hidden Figures, Moonlight. The only thing that irritated me was like people say, Oh, this film launched her. I was like, Do you not watch Hidden Figures? She's a fucking phenomenal. Yeah, Hidden Figures. Or, or Moonlight, or even Antebellum for that. You're certainly yeah. the star in that movie. And, and obviously, she's got a whole singing career on top of that as well. Um, and Dave Batista, who just continues to shine, and there is a red flag there because his next movie is with M Night Shyamalan. So, so the Batista house of cards might crumble anytime soon. Everyone's got a death now. <laughs> Ed Norton is great as well because I love Ed, he's I know, deliberately cast in, and in, he's in that role. Rare. It's just like it, 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 it's this, and is it Food Fight? Not Food Fight. The one with um, the food gets eaten by humans, and he plays the bagel. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, uh, food. <laughs> And he just starts slagging off Edward Norton. Like, he like, to the point he's like, only Edward Norton could be that meta in that film, just slagging him off. Yeah, that was the... Uh, the Seth Rogen food film. What was that called? It was an oh, animated... It wasn't food, it, it was because funny. Food. It was funny till the end, and then it just became like this weird orgy kind of film. Yeah, that was weird, yeah. Sausage Pie. Yeah. So, yeah, it was well-written. Each character's really well-fleshed out. There's motive, there's backstory, the setting, the visuals are great. It looked expensive. It looked like an expensive movie, a blockbuster movie, uh, you know, I laugh loads. I I thought it's a film that you could watch time and time again and see different, different things. Um, and, and, uh, and I thought everything from the dialogue, the wardrobe, the props, Kate Hudson's brilliant in this. She is, Her she character is. is great in this, you know, yes. Kat just kind of like birdie. non-existent, like in her head being like PR disaster. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's just brilliant. a bit as well, which is like, what do you think a sweatshop is? And she's like, don't tell me it's a place where you think they make sweat sweat clothes. He's like, is it not? Oh no, it's just got loads of it's in it. And there's that awesome line in it that Craig says, and I can't remember it verbatim, but she basically bragging about how she, she's, she's so uh, real that she will say what she thinks on Twitter and, and on social media. She will just tell it how it is. She keeps saying, and he looks at the camera and he's like, it's a dangerous thing to confuse um, what's he say? He says, um, free, uh, we, oh, was it free speech with stupidity or something? Yeah, something like that. To say that just because it's an opinion doesn't just mean you yeah. have the right to put it out there or, or, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's a really, really good movie that I think pokes fun at a lot of social narratives at the moment. 
you know, you can make certain connections between certain characters you want. But it's also just a really playful film as well. Yeah. I really liked it. It's not my top film of the year, but I really oh, loved watching it. Top top ten for me. It's yeah. it's in there. It's a very good film. It was great to go back to that character. Loved what they did with it. The only downside is my third film is only one place you can go. Space. <laughs> well, that's it. Where are we gonna send Benoit Blanc next? Space, I told you. Twenty twenty two was a weird year, mate. There was there's a lot of things to like. There was a lot of things not to like. There was a lot of things that were probably the best, mate. <laughs> saw this film, saw this advert. I think I might have even seen a trailer when I went to the cinema. Didn't get it. Didn't stick with me, mate. Wasn't for me. It looked confusing. It looked boring. It looked like an alternative film. 2022 gave me one of my favourite films. The best film of 2022. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Directed and written by David Kwan and David Schnert. Starring, and you know I love me some Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> love Michelle Yeoh. Stephanie Hughes. Key Hugh Kwan. James Hong and Jamie Lee Curtis. You didn't see that name coming. I did not. Right, can I just say as well that Ki Hung Kwan, I was staring at him. I was like, why do I know his face? Who is he? Fucking, the other week we did Guernese and we did Data, short round. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know he retired from acting in 2001 because I, he couldn't get the acting roles and they, they, they specifically got him back in for this film? Yeah, I did hear that. And then it's, um, he obviously lit the internet when he was reunited with Harrison Ford recently as well, didn't he? And everyone was like, where's he been? <laughs> Evelyn Wong falls in love with Waymond and the two elope to the US where they open the laundromat and have a daughter. Years later, the couple are being audited by the IRS while Evelyn's demanding father has come to visit. Evelyn is also trying to hide her daughter's lesbian relationship from her father when everything changes thanks to the Alphaverse. I'm not joking, 20 minutes of this film is drab, it's dry. This relationship isn't love-filled. You find out later that maybe one of them wants out. You don't know what's going on. But in the many parallel dimensions, one of them invented verse jumping technology and that enables people to access the skills, memories and bodies of their parallel universe doubles. Oh, here we go. In the world of uh, multiverses. The entirety of reality is under threat from Jobu Tupaki, the alpha version of Evelyn's daughter, and now is up to the truly unremarkable and unimpressive Evelyn to save reality. She must absorb as many skills as possible from her counterparts, fight off the Alpha first, destroy Jobo, and save the day. 20 minutes into this film, mate, you do not know where you're going to end up in 40 minutes. And by the end of this, fuck me. What a transitional film of greatness. The writing in this is superb. One of my favourite scenes is when they're travelling the many universes and they come to where human life hasn't evolved and they're both stones. <laughs> and because they can't talk, there's just subtitles. And it's about breaking the rules. The ambition of this film, I'm not being funny. I love Michelle Yeoh. You love Michelle Yeoh. We should all love Michelle Yeoh. But she's not an A-listing. None of these people are A-listers. Someone took a shot. The movie people went, this is a novel idea. And this is what you get. <clears throat> so last week I was talking about, is the cinema dead? And this is why I hope it's not. Because films like this are ambitious. They aim for the skies, mate. Or more accurately, they aim for the universe. They aim for the multiverses. The acting ability on show is bar none. Um, short round. Mr. Data. Um, Use his full name. Uh, Ki Hugh Kwan. Oh, he, no, I was on about that. Yeah. <laughs> he, <clears throat> he's both. He's the... He's our interaction with the day, uh, the Alphaverse to start with. So he's just this husband, mm. the one's out of this loveless relationship. But then as soon as he triggers, he's charismatic, charming. He's got, got such a range that I've not seen for so long. 
The casting's spot on. James Hong is brilliant. Love James Hong. I've loved him when I first terrified the piss out of me in Big Trouble in Little China when he's just going around and fucking Kurt Russell is so redundant to that storyline. To this film where he's asleep eating soup to them being the general in charge of killing this. It's fucking... And it, they flip on dimes, mate. Flick of a finger. They're, they're alternate. Standout moment is... <sighs> Rakakuni. That's all I'm going to tell you, mate. I want you to watch this film. Rakakuni. You'll fucking love it. I, I will say for the people <laughs> listening, I didn't realise it was on Amazon until you messaged me. And yeah. I didn't have time to watch it. But I I guarantee this is the... I, and I say this all the time, but I mean it. This is the very next film I'm watching. Rakakuni, mate, is top notch. Or, and it is a bit of a spoiler, but it's not too much. They're having a fight. She's downloaded... So she's gone into the world and learnt Kung Fu. And so in her mind, she can start fighting people. <sighs> and at some point they lose connection. So they just start slapping each other in what I would call a genuine fight. The only way you can alphaverse as well, the only way you can change is to do something unexpected that the universe doesn't change. So if you want to swap to a different dimension, you have to do something unusual. And they are some of the laugh out moments of this film. When, you, when someone realises they need to switch universe, they have a fight over an object and it's fucking hilarious. It is such good. It was fun to watch, mate. It was is I don't even know how, do you know what? I don't even know how long it was because I, time didn't make any sense. It was fun. Uh, the villain can doesn't have to do any of these weird wackies. Can walk through the universes at their own will. It's a great story about uh, parenting, motherhood, and showing them the world, and when how we limit children as well. It's a fun story. It takes risks, and I love that it takes risks. It is easily, uh, and warning out there. <laughs> Not warning. Hot Dog Fingers World was fucking phenomenal. <laughs> and comes up more than you think it should. Anyway, my favourite film of 2022 is the ultimately classic and everything. And a film that when you watch, I will want to put in a vault. Everything, everywhere, all at once. A tour de force of taking a risk and doing a multiverse story that's not related to comic books, not related to fucking time travel. It's just fun. I, the, the thing is, you'll never get a sequel to it and you don't need one. But you'll always wonder what those characters got up to after. They'll be in your mind like the other worlds out there. Fucking you have to watch on Amazon right now. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Definitely. Definitely. And it's got such a good uh, reaction online when it came out. And people, early early people that saw it in film festivals, I, for the best part of a year, I've seen people go on about this film. And so I don't know why I missed it. It was on Amazon, but I guarantee it will be the next film that I watch. Because I'm really, really looking forward to it. You should, you'll love it. Yeah. There's, I've not given any spoilers away for the storyline, but like, just everything's brilliant. There's, I don't, when you're watching the film and there's a slow point, mm. there's, not, there's barely room to breathe in this film. It's constant and it's brilliant. Right, so, sign me up, sign me up. James's film of the year, which leaves only one other film to talk about, which is my film of the year. I, I loved uh, this next one that we're going to talk about. That has just come out on uh, Disney Plus, just in time for award season. And that is The Banshee of Innis Sheeran. Um, it's a dark, tragic comedy film directed, written and co-produced by Martin McDonough in Bruges. I was going to say, that name might sound familiar. Three billboards, seven psychopaths, you know. All those films are brilliant. Yeah. It's a film that is a forerunner for best picture contender and it reunites Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, um, who previously worked on uh, Madonna's debut, debut in Bruges. He did do a short before that, uh, but certainly his... Um, yeah, his directorial debut uh, in Bruges. It's set on a remote island off the west coast of Ireland and it details the feud between two lifelong friends who find themselves troubled when one of them 
abruptly ends their relationship as best friends. Brilliantly. I'd like to point out. The film also stars Kerry Condon and Barry Keenan, who I'm going to talk about in a few moments. But a friend recently asked me, he said, he said, oh, have you heard about this movie? And I said, yeah, I watched it last night. And he said, cool. What, 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 what's Banshee's of Inisherin about then? And I was like, in a simple exactly way. how I feel about you. Yeah, I said, it, well, no, I said, in a simple way, it's a two-hour film. It's set in 1927. It's a small island with his local pub, or at least to the people on that side of the island, there's a local pub. Mm. And it's two friends who one day, one of them decides I don't want to be a friend anymore. And that's, that's it. it. <laughs> and that, that is the film. One of them is older, wiser. That's Colin, played by... Gleason. Mm. And then you have the younger, foolish Farrell, who plays Padrick in this movie. It's not a million miles away from Father Ted at this point. It's not at all. It, it, it's yeah, because one of them, he's he's not one of them wants to like experience life and the other one's content. Yeah. So the premise isn't spectacular, but it's enough to make you go, Well, all right, well, I want to see it. Why doesn't he want to be his friend? You know, it's it's that subtle enough. And of course, the splendid thing, the brilliance about this movie is that isn't what the film is about at all. Actually, when you watch the film and you dive into it, it's a film where it's a film that's brilliant because there's small bickering at the forefront. And in the background, literally in the is background, this, is, the is a civil, civil war. war. Yeah. Where you can hear gunfight, you can hear of people going to the mainland for executions. Yeah, that's we're a weird scene, isn't it? Yeah. We're looking at two people that just decide we don't want to be friends anymore. One of them just decide that. And the other one wants to really know why. What has he done wrong? And he keeps getting told, you haven't done anything. I just, just don't, don't want, want to be your friends anymore. just don't want to be friends anymore. And so you've got this great big thing going on in the background. You know, and but the forefront is is this. It's a film that starts as a breakup movie, but somehow becomes a grim fairy tale where he's warned, if you bother me, I will cut off a finger. So it becomes, what? Where did that come from? It almost like, what is the moral of this film telling me? What is the message that this film is trying to trying to drive home? You know, it's got this threat. In seven days, I will come back and do this. So it becomes almost like, like I say, this fairy tale. But what the film does is it explores two things that very rarely get picked up in a movie. Despair and misery. Yes. Despair is literally just mentioned as well as despair, yeah. doesn't it? Um, yeah, there, there's, a, there's an anchor in this movie which... Uh, is is a confessional box in a church where he speaks to a priest and despair is used a lot. It's, you know, how you're dealing with your despair. So you are you are kind of told that. And it's about a character, Colin, played by Brendan Gleeson, who wants to leave his mark on the world. He believes he's got 12 years left. He kind of pl- plucks that number out somewhere and he's like, I'm going to die one day. And he, he loves music because he plays he's a music. Player, yeah, he's a, player, he's a writer of music and he's worried that he's not going to leave his masterpiece or leave something. And he's at a point in his life where he doesn't mind being mean because he says in it, people remember mean people, don't people don't remember nice people. So he's almost like willing to do what it takes to be remembered. Um, and Colin Farrell's character can't accept that because he's like, well, nice people are nice. He, like That is literally yeah, his comeback. His argument is, I can remember my sister, she was nice. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and my mum was nice. And all that. great banter there. Yeah. And it has this great pairing of relationships. I mentioned Ke- uh, Kerry Condal and Barry Keenan who are so pivotal in a movie that is about two main characters they are so pivotal in this movie because what you've got is this pairing of the four main cast the two that are bickering so Colm and and, uh, Padrick are bickering Colm's main point of contact is his sister that he lives with who shares ideologies to Colm so even though she's the sister yeah yeah, even She's though no, Patrick's sister. Even though it's Patrick's sister, she, she shares, shares the ideologies of Colum. Yeah. She wants to leave the island. The, the island doesn't offer her anything. She's young. She's not married. 
She wants she, out. She's not content. She loves her brother, but can't help but think, hold on, Colm is right. We're only on Earth for so long. L- let's leave a mark. Don't. It, so it, the film is about the fear of being forgotten when we pass away, and which is when a lot of people believe that is when you truly die. You don't die at the point where you stop breathing. You die when people forget who you are. That is death. And oh, the other character is uh, Dominic, played by Barry Keenan, who is after Padrick's companionship and actually sees himself as the younger Padrick. And Padrick is the column character. He's the fatherly figure. He doesn't have a reliable father at home. He's looking for it. And Padrick, who's too blindsided by the bickering of him and Colm, doesn't realise he has everything he's looking for right in front of him with this young boy who could be 12. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because God knows what character, what age Barry Keenan is going for in this film. But what he's, he's after is right there. He's, he's, and he needs he needs help as well because he's like, you're, you're barred, Patrick. And he's like, you stay away from the girls. He's like, there's girls in it. Yeah. He's like, there's he's a brilliant there. companionship between those two that he just doesn't see because he's too stubborn to, to you know, even though he's been warned, I'll cut off a finger if you keep bothering me. He's like, no, I, but I need to know. And then there's the older character as well that acts as arguably the banshee. The the warden who like just watches the the argument unfold and the old mm. lady it's like like they hide from her when she it's like you always pretend you're not here she hides behind the fence when you come that yeah. sort of thing so you've also got arguably mythical creatures but they're not but obviously yeah. the foreseen like I I think it was that's what's made the more we think about it, I love this film this is mm. I, and we haven't even talked about the the stunning landscape that this film is shot on and. It's dark, it's very dark, but I laughed so much in this. There's a beautiful relationship that Colin Farrell has with a donkey. I can't even go into how beautiful that relationship not is. Sexual, not sexual, Not sexual, yeah, 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 not sexual. But it's, 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 yeah, I love that. It's, I, every time they go to the, I like the barman, mate. If we're talking about unsold heroes, it's the barman, mm. and when it's explained to him why he doesn't want to hang out with him, and the barman has told everyone, mm. it's just the bickering argument. It's realistic. Yeah. It's human. It's small town you know, mentality that I really, really loved. And I, and I thought these characters felt really real and fleshed out, you know, and um, I, I couldn't, I was just, I was smiling for this movie because even though there are scenes that are tragic and there are scenes that are, you know, quite, it's not gory, but, you know, the fingers do come off and, and stuff like that. Um, I couldn't help but think that this is just utterly charming. And it's it, it, it was better than In Bruges, which is a bold statement yes. because the reason why In Bruges works so well is because it's it, it's almost like an angsty teenager. It's sweary. It's it's violent in places. It's just, it's, it's just it's a fun film. Like mm. It's the sort of stuff that you don't say, you shouldn't say. This, this is an actual story. Yeah, this has got context and it's really well thought out and played out. Colin Farrell is brilliant in this film. He's brilliant. And I've always been a... I've always walked the line of, I don't know if I like Colin Farrell or if I do. I can't deny he's been in some great movies, but I also know he's been in some bad movies. And I've never really known if I'm a Colin Farrell like advocate and like, oh yeah, he's, he's a great actor. I've always been like, yeah, it's Colin Farrell's in it. Kind of like, I'm kind of like that with Matt Damon. I like mm. I like loads of Matt Damon films. But... But I'm never really like, oh, Matt Damon's in it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I saw Great Wall. But <laughs> this, this You film, and me are the only people that fucking did. did. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's scenes in this where Colin Farrell's facial expressions are bang on the I money. I tell you what, he does, he does, he doesn't know what's going on Gormless yeah. so well. Better than probably Father Ted, mm. fucking Eamon Home. No, what, Eamon Home? Dougal, Dougal, yeah. Dougal, this is kind of like exacerbated. I don't know what's going on. There's some heartbreaking His scenes. His name will come to me in a minute, actually. Play that, uh, the comedian. Yeah, I'll come to me in a minute. Um, but yeah, he's, his mannerisms, his facial expressions, I think, in the in the film, Brendan Gleeson is is also just 
absolutely perfection. He's, you know, like he has had a great career and he, he's been in some great movies. And I do think this is the, the pinnacle of his career. I, it's just a great performance from the two of them. I love The Guard. He's so good in The Guard. The Guard is probably my close second, yeah. And then there's a film that he did not that long ago, a drama, which I haven't seen, but he there was Oscar talk of it, mm. so I'll have to search Alid. that it's one out. Alid, isn't it? Alid. Something like that. It's going to come to me. Eden. No? Mm. You sit there, babe. I'll figure this out. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the whole movie plays out really well. It's a film that's shot, like I say, in a beautiful location, in bright daylight. And I just, I, I was just annoyed. I thought this film... I don't know, Harlan. Oh, oh yeah, there you go. I, I thought this, this this film, the moment it started, I was hooked. And then the moment it finished, I, I just I just knew when that cast started, I was like, that's my film of the year. That was what I've been looking for this year. In a year that I've confessed all along on this podcast in the last 50-odd episodes, hasn't been a year that's been great for me getting to the cinema because I'm having a little one. So I have yes. relied heavily on um, home films and films coming out really. So I've missed no end of films at the cinema this year. So, so it's weird that, well, you and I have both been the same boat. I've had th- last year. I had three three jobs. Mm. <laughs> Moved. I've had three living locations. It's been a harsh year to get. I've cancelled my. Uh, I've cancelled my. I've cancelled my Odeon as a view because we can't get there anymore. We can't guarantee. So streaming services have bailed us out at the last minute and showed us some of the greatest films yeah. of last year. And we, we, well, that's why we did a whole episode talking about why we loved <laughs> streaming mm. services and which was the best one. So and don't go wrong. I wish I saw this in a big on a big screen. It would you know, and I wish I saw Glass Onion on a big screen, you know, and, and I, I would always champion big screen over over home cinema. No matter how big your telly is or how good your surround sound is, there's just something about the magic of the, the magic of the cinema. Yeah, yes. so I'm looking forward to this year getting back. It won't be it long gone at the moment. Are the days of watching three movies back to back in a day and going to the cinema six times a week like that is that's gone at that's the gone moment. mate age but yeah responsibilities mate but I, I will keep up with my streaming services and when I can get to the cinema this year but yeah I think rounding off my film of 2022 was uh, Banshee of Yeah, and it should be because it was a great film it's probably mm. my, the closest I'll get to a second one um, brilliant so that was it so we talked about a lot of films these last two years uh, two episodes fuck me but in the next two episodes, we're talking about only two films. And we had a mission statement back back in, before the pandemic, mate. We were an 80s podcast. We were going to root out what made the 80s so special. We didn't usually say when we did play-by-plays, we, we stuck to the 80s. They were a magical time. Time when you and I grew up. Mm. We've decided that that kind of done. We finished it with... Completely the 80s, mate. Completely the 80s, mate. I know there's some films and we'll always go back to it because we've always said that we want our final episode to be on Tango and Cash. Yeah. Because <laughs> it ended the 80s. However... The 90s action, mate, I, we look at it now. If you're an action hero, you're a Superman, you're, you're stopping the world. But what about sometimes when you just wanted to swap your face? Mm. What about when you just wanted to go to a landmark in San Francisco and shoot people with VX poison gas? I think we're trying to find the 90s best action film. That's what our new mission statement is for the next couple hundred episodes. And bearing in mind we've already done Speed and a lot of movies like Independence Day, there are two... Massive movies we are yet to do 220-odd episodes into the podcast. They're, of course, The Rock. And Face Off. So they are our next two episodes that are coming out on this podcast. So join us, stick with us, download, subscribe. New episode each and every week. The next two, like I say, The Rock and Face Off. Two huge movies. Deep Insight, play-by-play, trivia, all the greatest hits of those two movies. The greatest scenes that I'm looking forward to both of them. Because it's not a chore having to rewatch for the rock no, or face not. off. And you don't even have to watch the rock, mate, because you know it word by word. Oh yeah, the, the rock is ingrained. It's in my bones, that movie. Walmack. Oh mate, you, you piece, piece of, of shit. shit. 
I can't wait. <laughs> uh, that is our show for this week. If I don't see you later, good afternoon, good evening, good night. You drop me and I'll drop your boss. You will not. <laughs>